Hey everybody, Craig here with an unorthodox preface to this episode. I don't normally do this, uh, but then again, I don't normally have Chuck Tingle on an episode. So this is the interview I did with Chuck Tingle. It is, if I'm being honest, mostly fine as far as earning the explicit rating or, you know, having your kids in the car or whatever. But uh, there is at least one portion, maybe more, of the conversation where you don't want your kids anywhere near this. So I just wanted to make sure that you were aware before you started listening. If you don't know who Chuck Tingle is, uh, Google it and then you'll find out exactly why I'm giving you this preface. One other thing to note is that during this interview, during the first uh, eight minutes or so of the interview, Chuck's microphone wasn't the best. We ended up switching to a different one. Uh, but for the first few minutes, uh, it's sometimes hard, you know, his voice gets clipped and uh, it's hard to understand exactly what he's saying. Uh, but you should still be able to get the gist of it. I think it will be fine. Uh, but if you're listening in a really noisy environment, you know, that might make it a little bit tougher. Just wanted to give you a heads up. So without further ado and with, uh, you know, no kids in the car, here is my interview with Chuck Tingle. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast and a very, very special episode. Possibly our first episode that we'll get the explicit rating. We'll see how it goes because I am joined today by one Chuck Tingle. Chuck, welcome. Oh, greetings. Oh, I'm so, so happy to be here. I can't, uh, I can't wait. Uh, this is a, a real thing. This is a real thing treat. I'm excited to spin this dang wheel and see what fate has in store. Uh, you know, I think it, a lot about timelines, the way they intersect, and I like um, when you have a big spinning wheel, and really uh, it, it, it uh, makes it easy to visualize the way things can branch off in different ways. We have no idea what this timeline is going to provide for us today, but I will say this, it, for anybody listening on the podcast and not checking it out on YouTube... This is one episode you may want to do that with because I actually have the wheel behind me. You can see what's going on. And uh, on the wheel of 14 wedges, there is one wedge that I'm pointing to right now. It's in black and it simply says live read. If we land on this wedge, Chuck is going to read a passage from one of his books uh, and uh, we'll see if we can even air it or if it will be patron only or so whatever. It's going to be an absolute riot. We're going to have a lot of fun. So. Before we get started, of course, I'll remind everybody to go to thelegendarium.com, check out previous episodes, check out the Patreon link, and of course, the Discord link, most importantly, where you can join in the conversation with other readers like yourself. Uh, and then also, at the end of this conversation, we're going to be talking about Chuck's newest book. Uh, this is, um, instead of the self-published stuff that you've done in the past, Chuck, this is a traditionally published novel. Uh, and so there's there's some differences between this and yes. what you've done in the past. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But for now, Chuck, are you ready? Shall we spin the wheel? Let's, think, spin it. Let's get this timeline going, all, uh, branching off in so many ways. That's a well-oiled well wheel. That's a I know. It's, yeah, it's really spin. nice. It's really nice. Okay. This one, uh, I, I should preface this by saying about half of the wedges here are populated by real questions where, you know, we, we want to get a, a, a real response out of you. Uh, you know, 
in your capacity as a writer. And then some of them are just ridiculous and stupid and fun. So this one is favorite tropes, uh, your, your favorite trope and why it's still good. So this is a holdover. We, I think we had this one when we had Brent Weeks on. Um, so a favorite trope and why it's still good. Because, uh, you know, people talk a lot of trash on tropes and yes. oh this is overused and i you know I, I wish it were more creative but there are too many tropes whatever but what's one that you still love um well i i love i like i like all the tropes to be honest even the ones that are overused i think them i think you can come at them in a in a new way and i find just the concept of a trope to be fascinating um before we talked about you know the word meme was not um, necessarily popular uh, until uh, a few years ago when we began to know it as a sort of an internet uh, thing that we could uh, put our own text over and change the basic premise of. But um, tropes uh, are kind of an, an original meme. I guess originally meme was a genetic term. So, uh, but, but tropes, uh, I think that they are so fascinating to pull apart and to deconstruct. So personally, I just want to say, I like, I like them all. Um, I think the first one that comes to mind, and I guess since we're talking about um, Camp Damascus, my horror novel coming up, um, before that, I wrote a horror novel called um, Straight uh, that is about um, a zombie apocalypse that only affects uh, cisgender uh, straight people, and all the queer buckaroos have to fend for themselves on one night a year. Um, so I was thinking a lot about zombie genre, which is full of tropes. And things in zombie genre that I uh, always found kind of um, fascinating uh, is uh, the third act trope of, wow, we finally made it to our uh, stronghold where all the humans have banded together and we're going to go in and we've reached paradise, but there is uh, still a good half hour left in our show. So you know that um, we are about to learn that the humans are more monstrous than the monsters themselves. Um, and I just think that that is always, uh, I think it's funny because I, I deconstructed it a bit in straight, but um, very rarely deconstructed. It is always that way. Uh, any zombie thing, you know, when they get to that stronghold with the people, they're gonna go, "Wow, you have you have gardens with vegetables, incredible! You have a society." Uh, and then, of course, we have to learn our finale lesson that the humans are maybe the monsters themselves. I, I love that one. <laughs> It's basically the entire premise of uh, all, what, what was it, 43 seasons of The Walking Dead? Yeah, it, uh, The Walking Dead is truly, uh, and this is not a jab, I would say they would admit this, uh, that trope uh, over and over and over again mm -hmm. uh, forever, which in itself, I guess, is kind of a message. Uh, artistically speaking, you could say, uh, is that trope that this keeps repeating and is unavoidable? I don't know, but that is true. That's a big, big walking dead one right there. All right. Well, good answer. Good answer. And, you know, I, I'm trying, I'm playing game show host here. Good answer. Let's spin the wheel again. Yes. See what we come up with this time. I've got the exact same wedge. Okay. You know what? I'm a terrible oh, no. spinner. <laughs> now you're a great spinner. I, I, I think I'm just very impressed. I must be very good. You know why? That's three times in a row 
that's the timelines. That's the fate of the timelines. Uh, bring uh, us to the same oh, place. I believe this one is uh, from Kiptan, who asks, I, I think it was Kiptan, worst first date meal. Okay, the oh. worst first date meal. I, I'm kind of adapting what he actually wrote down because it was very long. <laughs> but, I, can I can I actually can I hear what he wrote the, the long the the, the actual the long, the long version? Yes. Yeah, I bet I can find it here. I'm curious. Me... If it's not too hard, I'm very curious. Nope, I can pull it up here. For those wondering, by the way, question. I pulled all of these from uh, from Discord. We have a patron only channel. Um, and so our, our patrons were kind enough to help me populate the wheel. Uh, so Kiptan says, what is a meal that you love, but stop yourself from ordering the first time you're at dinner with someone? Oh, interesting. Those are, those are two different yeah, it's sort of, uh, sort of things. Well, uh, okay. I have an interesting answer, uh, that is maybe a combination of both. As, as buckaroos can see, and maybe if you're listening on a dang, uh, on your dang headphones, if you're watching, you can see Chuck is wearing my big pink mask. It says love is real. I've got my sunglasses on. And I have a mouth hole here. Um, a lot of buckaroos don't realize that I wear this, um, not just, uh, in public, going on dang podcasts, talking to buckaroos at <laughs> conventions. Um, also behind the scenes, um, talking to way of publishers, uh, lawyers, uh, other ways. Um, you could uh, give them all a thing, a lie detector test. They would all say the same thing. Yes, I don't have any idea what thing Chuck looks like because he's always wearing a mask in our meetings when he comes into the dang office. Uh, so uh, sometimes I have to go to um, big timer uh, publisher meetings, legal meetings, and they're over dinner. And it's very hard to eat with this mask. So I have a separate uh, mask uh, that I can go and uh, switch into and maybe go to the restroom and get in the stall, switch into my mask with a larger hole that hangs all the way down. Uh, and then um, I put my hand around my mouth and I take a fork and I go, okay, because I don't want to get a spaghetti sauce all over my lips. Uh, makes uh, me seem very disturbing and frightening. Uh, so um, as a general uh, word, I will say, I do not stop myself from ordering anything, uh, but I do switch into my food mask. So this this does raise the question, Chuck, why the mask? Oh, well, that's a that's a longer uh, question. There are a few there are a few reasons. Um, number one. I would say uh, for uh, safety of Chuck, I, I do write about some politically charged things and sometimes buckaroos uh, uh, threaten Chuck online a lot in the way of deep web or other ways. And uh, so uh, safety is, is one uh, when talking about kind of controversial issues. Uh, number two uh, is that um, this is a way to uh, express myself uh, in a way I am on a autism spectrum. And so I am always masking. Um, I'm very good at seeming neurotypical. And so um, what happens is that uh, I, it makes my body clench very tight. Um, I actually have to go, I have chronic pain uh, from muscle tension from clenching all the time and trying to uh, have a neurotypical way. And so putting on this mask um, allows me to uh, kind of not have to think about 
these social norms and has been very free actually kind of made my pain go away so that that's number two is just to create a symbol but also a space for me to really just kind of be myself and not have to think about any sort of masking which is ironic that i wear a mask to do that and then three when i meet buckaroos at um, conventions or other ways um i think there's a thing in, in therapy a lot a lot of us talk about this sometimes you use a puppet to um speak the truth uh and lots of uh, young buckaroos kind of do this sometimes if they have trouble communicating um and i think that um not having a a face of a human uh really disarms buds and creates a space not just for me to be safe but for um buckaroos who uh enjoy the tingleverse to be safe and so i will hug uh buckaroos at conventions and they will say uh chuck i've never told anyone this but uh here's here's something very important to me and they'll whisper a secret in my ear and i'll say i'm gonna hold on to that one for you and and we can talk about it and it will be very um caring and cathartic and therapeutic uh because uh, of the mask and so uh th those three uh are the main kind of reasons uh, makes for it. sense it, yeah it has worked out pretty dang well actually it's like if uh santa's beard was a whoopee cushion uh yes that's, that's there we go that's a pretty good that's a dang good description <laughs> all right let's spin again here we go chuck now, let's see if I can get a different... I, I want to get three in a row on that same one. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Oh, the, li oh, there the we go. live read. Okay, all right, listen up, everybody. Uh, Chuck... <laughs> I, I grabbed this. Chuck is going to re do a live reading from one of his books. If you've never read one of his books, then... Uh, well, let's just say I'm going to have the bleep button handy, uh, and it will probably be used liberally. Yeah. We'll see. This is going to be very, very fun. I don't really know. So how long... Uh, how big of a read do the buds normally do? How, oh, how let's, many paragraphs? Oh, I don't know. I, we do uh, two minutes. We'll we'll shoot for two minutes. Okay. Um, two minutes or that, less, I should say. Well, I'm a Warren Buckaroos. Um, this is a family friendly show. <laughs> I could have not today, Chuck. Not today. Not today. I could have gone and I do write um, for all kinds of uh, Buckaroos on the queer spectrum, and that includes um, asexual Buckaroos. So there are there are uh, tinglers about not pounding, uh, which we could have selected, but um, I think we're going to go traditional with this. Um, and let's get the... Uh, what's, what's the name of the story here? Um, this is going to be a selection from... Uh, what is this? Uh, the Curse of Bigfoot Butt Camp. Um, and to set up this... Uh, to set up this story, um, I, I will say uh, that this is a Bigfoot who is also a mummy uh, who has cursed the camp. Um, his name is Rim. So when you are, um, when you are editing, uh, and I say the word Rim, sometimes that will need to be edited and sometimes it will not. Um, Rim wastes no time at all, saddling up behind me and aligning his with the tight, uh, taut edge of my He slay, slaps my hard with his massive hairy hand and grabs me by the hips, pushing forward into And I cry out with a mixture, but 
I'm well. I don't. Wow. Okay. I don't know if you, I don't know if this is gonna work on your show. Oh, it'll work. It'll work, Chuck. Can... It'll work. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip a couple of these. Um, <laughs> no there's way. some dialogue here. Okay, I'm gonna just say oh f word. Oh, just go for it, Chuck. Oh, oh, dang. I don't. You know what? I write these, and I very rarely say them aloud. <laughs> I'm just gonna say this. It's a bad word. Oh, f- that f- is so. I tell my handsome monster lover, I don't know if I can take it. You can take it, Rain assures me confidently. Um, they, they are encouraging each other. Um, eventually, the pace of the Bigfoot mummy's has increased to a slam, but with every thrust, my relaxes until uh, I find myself in a world of blissed out fullness. I reach down between my legs and grab a hold of my myself off to the rhythm of Rune's Oh my god, you're gonna make me uh, my so hard I just threw clenched teeth. Um, yeah, that, that's a that takes a pretty good. That's a pretty good. Uh, I think you get the idea of what goes on at Bigfoot Butt Camp. <laughs> so, not only did we get a live read, which thank you for that, but it was a yes. Bigfoot erotica live read. Oh my god, yes, Bigfoot Mummy. That that's uh, so fantastic, yes. That's uh, so. I before I go back and spin the wheel again, I gotta ask you. I um, when I read through, I, I I'll admit I haven't read all of your books, Chuck, but I've read That's okay. you know the titles and and you know. Uh, did you ever see the episode of South Park when uh they're doing a send up of Family Guy and they're talking about the writers and they get to the writers' room for Family Guy. And the oh, writer's room the is manatees? the manatees. Yeah. And they, they go and just like grab this beach ball and that beach ball. They put them together. And that's their joke is two random kind of subjects yes. put together. How how do you come up with not only Bigfoot, but a mummy? I want to do a Bigfoot mummy. Oh, you know, where you do know, these ideas come from? It kind of depends on. Um, so some tinglers are very uh, uh, pointed to a current event. Uh, Buckaroos who may follow Chuck will say, oh, this thing happened in the news, and then Chuck wrote a book about it right away. Those are are simply based on what this timeline has handed me. Um, Other ones uh, are kind of filled uh, with uh, all kinds of uh, interesting or unique combinations. And a lot of the time, I'm just, I I like to uh, meditate or go on long hikes. And um, a lot of the time, uh, I will just kind of come up with them there of thinking, oh, what's one that's uh, going to be kind of an interesting thing? I've said before, um, I would like to write erotica for all things. And Bud say, what do you mean by that? I say, uh, everything that exists. That's what we're going to cover. So sometimes I'm just working my way through it. Um, but then I think uh, conceptually, the ones that aren't current events, and the reason I like to talk about um, all things is that a long time ago, there was a, sort of a discussion uh, from some uh, sort of anti-queer uh, scoundrels who would say things like, well, if we allow, say, gay marriage or something like that, we or what's next? Someone going to marry a tree or marry Bigfoot? Uh, and so I thought to myself, what if, uh, what if they did? Would it be so bad to be married to Bigfoot? And uh, and so a lot of the Tingle verse is sort of a joyful expression of what are these very unique 
um, fantastical uh, sexual explorations. Um, how can we uh, make that fun and uh, bring some joy, whether it turns a buckaroo on or makes them laugh or, or anything like that? So um, I think the combinations, sometimes the more uh, unique ones, work the best because they really exemplify that idea of would it really be so bad if these things uh, existed in this way? All right. Yeah, that's a good explanation. Let's spin again. We'll see if we can come up with one that we haven't done yet. Yes. Uh, this one is, all right, all right. So this says top three video games, but I think we can expand that if you like, if you prefer tabletop games or RPGs or what oh, have you. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, well, I am, uh, it's interesting. Uh, I only play uh, one video game, and I play it all the dang time, which is uh, Dead by Daylight. Oh, I play okay. uh, that game nonstop. Um, and, uh, I think, um, maybe, I, you know, buds have asked me, Chuck, why, why it's been a year. I've played for years. I say, Chuck, why do you always think, uh, you play that one game when you take a break? Don't want, don't you want to move on to other things? And I, um, maybe it is, uh, my way, uh, of uh, autism spectrum of, I have very specific habits. I have times that I do everything. Um, but for some reason, I, that is just my dang game. I come back to it all the time. And the times that I have ever gotten tired of playing, I just uh, switch. I don't know if Buckaroo's listening know this. He is kind of a horror game, uh, asymmetrical. You have four survivors and one uh, slasher. Mike Mikers, uh, Freddy Krueger, uh, they got the whole bunch. Uh, and you can play as either the survivors or the slasher. So if I ever get tired of it, I just uh, switch which side I'm on. And then it's like a whole thing, new game. And I've been going back and forth doing that for... Uh, really years and years. So I have a pretty specific one game answer for that. Hey, that's perfect. Do you gravitate toward that game? Do you think because of habit or because, uh, you know, you, you do think it's uh, cut above the rest or something like that? Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't, I can't speak to the rest because I just don't, I don't really know games. That I, I don't know yeah. what to then compare it to. Um, <laughs> yeah. A lot of what I do is uh, I'm just, I am very habit. And like I said, that's part of my uh, spectrum way is just, I have my routine very set and I just then plow through. But then that, you know, there are 300 tinglers, uh, these erotica shorts and more actually. And uh, I'm generally write one a week. So that habit and that hyper-focus of mine, um, you know, I kind of owe uh, my whole dang career to it. So even though it can be a little uh, exhausting or a lot to deal with, um, it is, uh, you know, it it it, uh, it kind of has shaped me. So I, I actually appreciate it. But I think you're right. I think that's part of it. It's just, it is part of my habit. It's part of my mm. routine. If my brain is fried from writing, I'll just pop on a Dead by Daylight and uh, play a couple of rounds of that and then and then go dive back in. Yeah, no, that's fabulous. And I am among those who can certainly understand sticking with a game. Uh, a lot of yes. listeners, a lot of uh, YouTube viewers, they know I've been playing StarCraft since 1998. I've been playing well, it now for 25 first years. First one? First StarCraft? Uh, both, both of them. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, 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 old Chuck uh, trotted around on that. Um, what is your, uh, are you a Zerg, Protosaur, Terran? A Terran, yeah, I'm a Terran player. So. Oh, wow, okay. 
uh, and yeah, have been since 1998. <laughs> You'd wow. think I'd be better at it, but I'm not. So, Did you ever try any of the other ones and then come back? Or oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can try the other ones, and you know, it's a it's like a, a certain games, and in this case, a, a certain type or, or within a game. Uh, it's just like a glove. You take it off and you try on another glove, and it doesn't fit as well. So. Yes, and yeah. it just fits your personality and your your exactly. uh, the that's that's neat. I'm glad you brought that up because I said uh, Chuck does not to you know I I don't play uh, main games, but the first uh, StarCraft uh, definitely um, tried to, tried out that one a few times. Um, big fan of that. Oh, it's fabulous. I mean, obviously, I think so. All There's right. a reason it stuck around. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, all right. This one, I believe it was Little Red Book who submitted this question, which is, does your mother read your books? Oh, dang. Um, no. That would be uh, a, a big, that is a no. Yes. Um, and well, you know, what's interesting is not a lot of uh, buckaroos um, that uh, Chuck knows uh, know that uh, I am Chuck. So right. uh, um, uh, even without mask, there are some buds, friends, uh, family. M- most of family knows, but does not read. But um, uh, yes, uh, they, they, uh, 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 those worlds are generally uh, separate. So you, I bet you have some fun where somebody will bring up Chuck Tingle in your presence and have no idea. That has happened quite a few uh, times. Um, very close buds have been big fans. I think what's mostly interesting, so I live in the um, dang city of devils, uh, also known as uh, Los Angeles. Uh, you, you still live in Billings, and now I'm in uh, Los Angeles. But um, I, And I've appeared on uh, TV shows or you know, some sort of big timer sometimes. And it is always uh, interesting, um, the, the, the stranger interaction is not the buds that know me uh, without the pink mask, uh, who then are fans of Chuck. It is the, fa- the, the buds who know Chuck personally from a work, uh, from a big TV show or something that I've trotted on or a, or a meeting or some other way, who I will then see uh, without this. And I realize, oh, that is my bud. I can't go say hi to them. Uh, because they only know Chuck and they don't know uh, my way without the mask. So that is, um, the reverse is equally uh, interesting, actually. Wow. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's, I wouldn't have thought of it that way, but yeah, that has to be. Yes. Well, there's, uh, a, there's a few buds. And, uh, I don't want to, and, and I don't, I always think, oh, well, maybe I'll give them a little uh, dang tweet online and post at them and say, oh, I saw you, uh, I'm, my buddy, uh, David Ferrier, he is a journalist, the dark tourist, um, he's on Armchair Expert podcast, v- v- wonderful person. Uh, David is great, but he knows uh, Chuck very well. And um, I see him uh, at concerts all the damn time when I am not Chuck, and I feel bad uh, being to t- post a message because then that feels uh i don't want to make buds feel like i'm being teasing them for not knowing or but i do want to say hi i was like oh i wish i could go say hi that's my bud over there yeah no it's uh you gave the reasons for the mask and they're good reasons but that has to be tough to even just in terms of keeping the story straight and knowing who's yes. who is whose friend who knows who yes yes yeah it's absolutely true. 
Uh, all right, let's do it. Let's do a few more of these. I think we got some Jeez. time for a few more. Uh, okay, we're not going to do another live read. Uh, I mean, I, I don't could. want you to have to uh, <laughs> take that much time with your. It's a lot button. of lot of editing. All right, here we go. Okay, all right. This is a this is a question that's been on the board for a little while. So you're not the first author to get it. Uh, and it is something you wish you did better as a writer. So a, a skill, a, some, something that uh, you think, ah, you know what, I, I'm good at a lot of things, but here's one thing I wish I could do a little bit better. Uh, oh, that's know. a good one. Well, I have a very strong philosophy with art. Um, I guess it could sound, I, I'm not going to say, oh, nothing better uh, in a sort of arrogant way. But I do have a philosophy that I've worked hard uh, to really make sure I embody, which is um, I think that it's very easy to um, take a piece of art, whether it is a painting or a song or a book, and to keep editing and refining it, uh, thinking that you are making it better, when in reality, I think the best art and the art that I try to make is um, capturing a moment which is inherently flawed and messy uh, and uh, kind of imperfect. Um, so really when I think, is there anything I'd want to do better, anything about what I have made or released that is, quote, not good, um, I have worked really hard to accept that actually that in itself is perfect because um, it represents the day that it was released. It is, um, an example I would use is, um, you don't hear this in writing very much, but in music, if you have a, a punk band, um, being a little sloppy, a little out of tune, a little rushed, created that genre and it, is a perfect version of that genre. And for some reason, that doesn't, hasn't been translated to other art forms. And I, I think a lot of what I'm trying to do with um, Tinglers, because they are uh, not entirely edited, they come out really fast, they're a little sloppy, is um, kind of a version of um, punk rock in a writing sense. So um, I, I really think that um, there is nothing, uh, I think if I was really to say, what can I do better is to um, accept um, that there is no better, which I am already kind of working on. Um, just accept that I, uh, it is okay to capture the moment and that perfection in itself is, is uh, imperfect and being uh, at, at ease with um, what you make and staying present. That's a great answer. I love that. See, yeah. this is what this is why I like the wheel because you don't actually technically have to answer that question, but it can push us toward some other yes. discussion. So this is perfect. I love that. Uh, that's really great. All right, let's do uh, well at least one more, possibly two. We'll see what sort of okay, answer we yes. get out of this. Uh, oh, that's just over there. Yeah, take All right. I'm glad I'm glad we got this one because this was what we originally uh, kind of pitched uh, as a topic to have you on the show about. Uh, the question is why traditional publishing versus self-publishing? So to give people some background, you you have these tinglers, as you call them, uh, these really rapid fire short books um, that you say you do about one a week. Uh, and now, you, oh, well, I, sorry, 
back on that. They are, they are of a very specific type and they are self-published. So that's part of the way you can get them out so yes. quick, right? Yes. But now you uh, have written some horror stuff. You have one now coming out in the horror genre. And so this horror stuff is going to be published traditionally. What took you down that road? Why did you want to do that? What Was it you seeking out a traditional publishing arrangement or somebody else coming to you and asking you to, to do that? How did it come about yes. and why? Um, there's a few reasons. Um, in, in life, I am uh, what is uh, sometimes referred to as an epicure, which is um, uh, the literal kind of meaning of that is someone who wants to eat everything. But um, in the frame of life, uh, it is uh, someone who wants uh, experience. I thrive on um, experiencing things. And so just moving to traditional publishing uh, is a whole new thing and uh, knowing that I only get one trot down this timeline um I don't I rarely say no to a novel opportunity so that that is one reason I, I think number two is that um self uh, self-publishing um I have to go through Amazon all the time and and ethically some buds don't like to purchase things through Amazon so I think that having a distributor for uh, Buckaroos who wanted to support my way, uh, could go to their local bookstore just down the street and support a local bookshop. Um, wanted to give that opportunity and really spread that out and say, you can get this anywhere. Um, and so that made me feel really good about doing that. Um, and then I think that the third one is just, um, you know, my goal, a lot of my writing, um, uh, some would think, what is the most important uh, story, character, uh, different things? And there's all kinds of kind of artistic arguments. For me, um, my number one uh, in what I enjoy and what I create is actually message. Um, what am I trying to say? Um, that can sometimes be political, but it can also be um, philosophical sometimes. And um, along with that just comes, um, you want to reach the biggest audience that you can. So if I am creating with a message in mind, what better way to do that than to go, um, you know, have my traditional publishing way. And I signed a very good contract in the sense that um, I can still self-publish all the romance and erotica I want. And then uh, I can write these horror novels and um, these two uh, outputs will happen in tandem. And that's just really exciting to have that, uh, that opportunity to do that. Awesome. Yeah, it's uh, like you say, way to reach a broader audience. I mean, we, we uh, oh no, never mind. I was going to go into a story about doing stuff like that on the podcast, but who cares? It doesn't no, matter. No, well, yeah, <laughs> hey, can, I, I'm, I'm here to, I like the back and forth. It is, no, right? you're good. You're good. Um, no, I'm not saying you don't care. I'm saying no, nobody else cares. So oh, that's I can't <laughs> Well, this is actually a pretty good segue to talk about Camp Damascus. Um, we'll just do, you know, a few minutes, give us a little elevator pitch on the book at what it is and why people should check it out. This is a, a traditionally published novel. So this is one that uh, people can presumably, hopefully go check out at their local bookstore if they prefer. It is. Uh, but yeah, tell us what it is. So I, I am, went to uh, Nightfire Publishing. Uh, they are part of uh, Macmillan. Uh, so distribution is, is definitely not going to be a problem. You'll be able to find this uh, anywhere that, that you want it. Um, and uh, Camp Damascus uh, 
I'm glad we started with a with a dang uh, question about tropes. Um, with horror, I do like to, I really like to deconstruct subgenre. And I mentioned kind of the zombie subgenre, but something uh, else is the um, uh, demonic possession subgenre. And so I thought, uh, what is a clever way I can do that? I normally come at it from a, a queer uh, angle. Uh, so with LGBTQIA issues, um, wh what what happens when I combine kind of my thoughts about that with um, the tropes of a typical possession idea? And how is that going to change it? And the story that I ended up um, creating out of that, I thought, wow, this is interesting. I got to write this, um, turned it into a, a full-length horror novel. And it has really just resonated with Mark Ruse. So I, I would say the pitch of it is um, if you had the uh, most successful uh, conversion therapy camp in the world um, and then dug a little deeper to discover that um, the methods that they were using, while the methods are already sinister of these places, um, are even more uh, sinister than one might think is kind of the uh, initial pitch. And, and I think... Um, I think that exploring horror uh, from a marginalized point of view, uh, whether that is, um, you know, I'm neurodivergent, uh, but also the queer community, there's a lot of ways to approach this. And, and I wanted to create something um, cathartic uh, and kind of um, uplifting for the communities that I think are affected by this uh, in the story. So I, I think Buckaroo's who might be scared of horror and think, well, is this just going to really be grueling and, and just hurt and be painful for me to get through from beginning to end? There is definitely a time and place for that in the horror as a genre. But um, I think that um, a more broader uh, audience uh, who, who wants a sort of catharsis with those issues will find something really to uh, enjoy in Camp Damascus. So are you saying that... Uh based on something you said earlier with one of the, the wheel wedges behind us, that this is message first and horror second. Uh, so it's not, uh, it's not going to be as gruesome as uh, well, tough I to think read. You can do, I think you can do both. I think someone who does both very well and who is kind of a touchstone uh, for my story beats is uh, Jordan Peele is a great mm. example of um, really weaving um, a point of view uh, and saying, I'm going to give the reader, um, I'm going to give them something, whether or not they agree with the idea. If someone's going to take the time to watch this movie or read this book, um, it would be remiss of me to not leave them with something, something to pull apart. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, that is always a goal of mine, of, of not saying, I'm just going to let you ride this roller coaster. I, I want to give you a little uh, box to take home and to open up and to think about in the days after. So um, message, I don't think, is paramount to the horror because they, they really do have to inter interweave. But it is just really important to me to weave those together. Um, like, I, like I said, Jordan Peele is so dang good at that. So someone, someone like that. Yeah, it's a that's a, a nice peek into how you prioritize the the different parts of your writing, uh, your stories. Because yes. there there are different approaches. There are people who will say, "Look, I I know that my views, my messages are going to bleed through, but I'm going to do my best to just tell a story." Uh, yes. and that you know, and then there are others who 
uh, prioritize the mes messages, as you say. So, yeah. there, you know, and there's a, are... it's a difference if, if you're going to go see a Jordan Peele movie versus most Steven Spielberg movies. You're getting you're getting a different flavor that way, right? So there's no right or wrong with it either. Yeah. I think that's the one thing that I hope how Buckaroos know, especially um artists or writers um watching this. Um, there are a lot of lessons that are really um I think pounded into uh, the heads of um young creators. Pounded um, into the the what's now? The oh, that's true. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, uh, for for the purposes of this PG thirteen ah. podcast, pounded into the heads of uh, of readers and and or writers or creators. Um, and I think it's okay to look at those and deconstruct them. I mean, even what I have just said. Um, you know, you have your care. I think for a long time, the kind of golden rule, the the freight, the things you would always say uh put out to kind of young writers is um uh character over story let your character take over and, and run wild and that's that is pretty good advice to say um let your characters drive the action the narrative character is the most important um but before that uh, you know you had that comes from people saying well it's all about the strict story beats and as time goes on, we kind of have a new thing that everyone's putting in front of the next, this is the most important. Um, so when I say that message is the most important to me, I'm, I'm not saying it needs to be the most important to you. Uh, what I am saying is, is I'm happy to make kind of a more controversial statement that message is my number one. And hopefully that inspires others to say, that's interesting. Here's my number one. It is also not traditional in this way. Or maybe it is. Maybe you're number one. You just say, well, I'm a character person and that's, that's my thing. And that's great too. I just, I would like, um, creators to feel free to, um, push the boundaries of these kind of advice pieces that we have been getting forever. And, and maybe you'll stumble upon something that really matters to you. Um, and, and I think that can be a very powerful tool. Yeah. No, I love that. It's uh, you have your priorities, and the reader has their own priorities. I yes, I um, I got in trouble at work once uh, because I was reading. I, I we we wanted a laugh, and there were a few of us around the lunch table. This is five years ago, whatever it was. A few of us around the lunch table. And I said, "You guys, listen to this." And I pulled up one of your eBooks on my phone and read aloud, and uh, we just died laughing. Sometimes it's just you know, Hey, this is funny. Let's read this. Yeah. It's funny. Um, and that, so in that moment, that was the priority, but other times it can, you know, those priorities can shift. And, and so the author yes. meets the reader and it's always different every time. Well, once you, once you release art into the world, um, it, it's going to change the reactions of going to change. Time is going to, uh, reframe it, uh, where it's, where it's hung metaphorically uh, is always going to change the context. And um, I think what's interesting about Tinglers and why I think is kind of a joyful thing about them is that they, they can be read on a number of levels. And I think because they are so visceral and so many find them um, outrageous from the, the outset, um, they, uh, they, the perception of them changes very quickly depending on the circumstance um and that's that's very exciting i think that's really really neat um i think that some artists or writers really set out to make something that 
is so specific and doesn't change. And they, they try to make the writing timeless. Uh, you hear that a lot. Don't don't name drop different uh, brands or songs or anything because you will create a, a a story that is right too specific to right now. And um, I just um, that's another one of those things that I just don't. Uh, uh, for me, uh, I just I like art that uh, can be reframed over and over. If you read this in two years, you think, "Wow, that really has changed the way that was thought of." and and let time mold it like a dang uh, rock in the tides. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for uh, your your wit and wisdom. Uh, it's been a really, really fun time spinning the wheel and talking about your new book. The book is Camp Damascus, uh, and uh, people should definitely, you know, if, if they if they like your other stuff, they should definitely go check this one out. Uh, please do not send your children uh, to those links, <laughs> but I will put a link to that in the show notes here so people can go check that out. Uh, but Chuck, once again, thank you so much. Appreciate it so much. Oh, thank you. Yes, this was wonderful. <laughs>